This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Welcome to the journey. I'm your host, Chris Demix, and this is where I pick the brains of your favorite musicians about their musical paths from the very beginning and throughout the years up until the present. How they got from point A to point B, from their earliest musical memories, that very first song they remember hearing, to who influenced and inspired them. The moment they knew they wanted to be a performer, what led them to their instrument of choice, embarrassing first recordings, performances, and everything in between. When they fully realized this was a pure, unadulterated passion, way more than just a fleeting hobby or something they enjoyed in passing. We go deep and get the inside scoop of how, why, and when this all began. No two stories are the same, each unique to the individuals telling them, and everyone as fascinating as the next. So join me now as we embark on another journey. Well, today's journey is going to be with Mr. Buddy Schaub, the trombone player for my band, his band, Less Than Jake. What's up, buddy? Whose band is it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got to thinking, I was telling you before we started recording, it's crazy having known you for 30 years and being in a band with you. There's there's things today that we're going to talk about that I have no idea. And I'm sitting here going, how do I not know these things? You don't pay attention to me when we hang out. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I do. Sometimes I do. But take us all the way back to your your earliest memory of music. What was it? Was it a song? Were, were, you, were you at a, uh, a Christmas dinner and someone was singing Christmas carols? Uh, was it by a campfire? I know that uh, I believe your mother... Uh, was a pianist or sang in the sang in the choir at church. She sang in um, the Sweet Adelines, which is a national uh, musical. It's actually worldwide. Uh, it's all over the place, and they'd have competitions and stuff. So she was always singing. And and my uncles that used to come down and visit every Christmas used to sing all the time too. There would always be music cues in my family, like where if someone said something that was like a line from, and this was usually like for like Broadway musicals, like Oklahoma or something. Like if someone said a line from the thing, they would all bust into song which oddly enough, I used to make fun of. And now it happens all the time in my house with Edie and I, but it's more current songs, of course. So that, I mean, that could possibly be the answer to your question is that there was always that kind of stuff going on in my house. So like there would be these weird musical cues that I didn't understand going on all the time between my uncles and my mom. So your mom was a singer and, and you have one uh, sibling, an older sister. Was, was Melissa into, into singing at all? Or, or I know you might actually get into this in a second as to how I got my, how I started playing trombone. So we could kind of leave my sister for that question. If you want to, I don't know if that's a well, question you're going to ask, but uh, yeah, well it, it is, but I just kind of want to talk about your fam family a little bit and we'll get to her, I guess in a second, but there, there is a little uh, a musicality uh, in your lineage, uh, I should say. So it's not just that you weren't the first generation to all of a sudden have, have mu musical ability. Yeah. My mom was definitely into it. I'm, I'm trying to think if there was anyone, well, I guess my uncle, like I said to you, my uncle Frank, who was part of that, the uncles that were in those songs, because he plays piano uh, really well and he would always do accompaniments and stuff. So yeah, I guess there was definitely some music going on in, in, in that side of the family, for sure, more so on my mom's side of the family. Do you remember the first rock or pop song you heard or, or a song that you wanted to play over and over again? I remember mine, but what like a song that you heard and just like it, it gave you those goosebumps. It made you go, I want to hear that again. Yeah, you know, I guess that was hard for me because a lot of what I listened to early on was just on the radio. So it wasn't really easy to just play it over and over again. You know, you'd have to wait yeah. for it to come on again. Me too. But the first <laughs> you bought the 45. The first tapes I got, the first two tapes, and this is like how I'm dating myself now by saying that they're tapes instead of uh CDs, which is also dated. But uh <laughs> I bought Billy Joel Innocent Man, that record on tape, 
And at the same time, like I chose that as my Christmas present and my mom bought me Michael Jackson Thriller. And I listened to those two records uh, like consist constantly for, for, you know, the first like six months I had them or something. And I remember the, the longest time on Billy Joel. I used to listen yeah. to that song over and over again because it had that like the 50s doo-wop stuff. And my mom was big into that kind of stuff too. So she, we kind of shared that. That's where you found me When you put your arms around me I haven't been there for the longest time Whoa, for the longest time And then Michael Jackson Thriller, like the whole record I listened to, like I was just, you know, unstoppable. Right. And of course, Michael Jackson and Billy Joel had horns. Michael Jackson, uh, you know, uh, maybe more so than Billy Joel. And by the time those came out, I was already like 10. So I, I definitely had heard music a bunch by that. <laughs> I actually was just talking about this with Edie. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's my wife, uh, about how some of my early music history too was riding in the backseat of the car on the way to church or whatever, or wherever we were going, my grandma's. And my dad would drive so slow and then the music that he, they were choosing to play was like this old crooner stuff. And I actually got all of his records recently. So I have a bunch of this music now, but some of it was like, <laughs> my skin was crawling. I was like eating myself inside, like at how <laughs> slow things were going, how slow he was turning. I was like, God, why? Like it was just taking forever. So I remember some of those being some of my early memories too, which were just unbearable with music. So that might've actually sent me in the wrong direction at some point. <laughs> so what was it, you know, m most younger people, I think they don't uh, aspire to be a horn player. You, you want to be a dancer or a singer or a guitar player or something. Was, was the horn something you got when you got into a marching band in high school or did you have an interest before that? Uh, well, basically what happened is in middle school, so seventh grade, you either start taking the wheel, which is like home ec and like shop and like a bunch of stuff where you just do, different things throughout both semesters, or you take band and that's all you do. And my sister had already taken band. And so she was two years older than me. So she was already ahead of me in this and she was playing clarinet. And so I was like, well, if I just play clarinet, I can just do that and it'll be really easy. <laughs> so I started playing the clarinet. And so my whole first set, my seventh grade year, I played clarinet. I was first year clarinet. I was kicking butt. And then over the summer, she sat me down at some point before, because she was going to be in high school and then or she was already in high school at this point. And she was like, maybe you should switch to a different instrument so that you're not like sitting with all the girls. And I, I think her real motive was to get me out of her section so that I didn't like come in and like steal her thunder or something. So she wanted ah. me to switch instruments. So I knew a couple other people that were playing trombone and I was like, well, I guess I'll switch to trombone. So in eighth grade, I switched and started playing trombone just on a whim out of nowhere. There was no like, I want to pick that instrument up and learn it. Like it just looked cool. And like I knew two other dudes that were playing it. And that's how I ended up playing that. So that's the whole reason I am like, that's the reason you know me for 30 years. It's crazy. Yeah. And did you find your ear going towards uh, pop music? Because that's basically what you were listening to growing up. I and mean, yeah, you had your mom's uh, stuff from, from from her group she was singing in and, and different things that that uh, were subjected to walking through malls, uh, music and elevators, etc. But when you heard pop songs on the radio, were, were, do you remember finding your ear going towards the, the horns? Well, definitely. Once I started playing horn, that stuff starts to, you know, you start to listen to that way more, uh, you know, cause early on, like, you know, when I was in like elementary school, I didn't even know the difference between a bass guitar and, and a guitar or, you know, like there's, there's certain things you just don't, you know, everyone usually just listens to the vocals first and then, you know, people know what a drum is, but like a lot of people don't really know a lot of what instruments sound like. So by being in band throughout high school and then I, you know, after eighth grade, I went on to play and marching band and all that stuff all through high school. So 
yeah, I definitely started picking up on horn parts and stuff like that in, in pop music way more than other people probably did. And yeah, at first I'd say my first couple of years of, of high school, it was still just like what's on the radio. And, uh, but then mm-hmm. I started diving into like, I, I started hitting the the alternative world at some point via like the cure and Depeche mode and the Smith. So I went like the buddies going alternative. Like I, I went that way first before yeah. I found punk rock. And that led me to punk rock at some point. Well, yeah, and and, and that music often did. You know, it was kind of, there was a, definitely a crossover there. But did you? You know, I think I know the answer to this. You're you're probably, and I mean this with the utmost sincerity. You're probably the most anti rock star guy that that I've ever known. Like, did did you want to be in a band or be that? Like, I, I was in front of the mirror with the broom when I was five or six. You know, pretending I was the guy from Kiss. Did did you aspire for that, or did did that come later? I did to a certain degree. There were other things that I also wanted to be. But I do remember like going back to whenever this was probably fifth or sixth grade or even earlier when I was playing with G.I. Joe's, uh, <laughs> me and my friend Steve got we, we weren't we, instead of like playing with the G.I. Joe's like like battling stuff. One day we were like, hey, let's make them into something else. We figured out you could take them apart and put like different like the legs on the other guy or whatever. So we like put all these different pieces together and made them into a band. We like made like cardboard drum set and cardboard guitars. and We made like a full like rock band. And I remember being like, yeah, we could be in a band or whatever. And then I think it was probably because during the same time period where I went alternative, I also started listening because MTV had all like the the metal bands came came out. And yep. so once I had MTV, I was watching all that stuff too. So like Motley Crue and, you know, all those bands that were like dressed to the nines and they're like ridiculous stuff, you know, that immediately makes you as a high school kid want to be that for sure. So I definitely dove into that world of like wanting to be in that, but I was still just in marching band and I, I didn't play guitar or, or any of that. That happened the summer after I graduated high school, before I got to college, I started playing guitar. And then when I got to college, that's when I met someone and started uh, playing in bands around town. So the, the being in a band thing kind of was a little later for me, I think. Did you ever see a band on TV? Uh, you know, I know a lot of people back in the day saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. That was before our time. But, right. you know, uh, for me, there was early performances, a kiss. I remember seeing as a kid, it just seemed just so much larger than life. Was there, do you remember your first memory of, of, of something you saw on TV, a performance? You're like, wow, that's awesome. Or, or I want to do that. I think, I mean, it's gotta be those, any of those videos that were out during that whole time period in the eighties <laughs> with, with, you know, any of the Def Leppard stuff, like, especially that, like Def Leppard, um, pour some sugar on me video where, you know, there it's like the full, just live concert, any of those live <laughs> concert videos where you're like, Oh my God, like I could, you know, that, that would be amazing if you could be that, you know, could and, you uh, imagine and, playing to that many people. Yeah. And just like having that many people like, you know, adoring you or whatever, you know, like giving you positive yeah. feedback for what you're doing. Like, I was like, wow, that's way better than, you know, if you're like a rocket scientist, no one's going to like applaud you for that. Like, like yeah. in a crowd of people in front of you. So there was definitely desire going on at that point to be like, to be that. And I was always, and that's the thing too, is I was kind of an outgoing, like showy kind of like, you know, I always wanted to get a laugh. So I was, I was always like kind of doing stuff like that, even as, as far as when I was little, you know. I want to talk about the showy thing, because for those that don't know, uh, not a lot of people know this, uh, you were a cheerleader in high school, as well <laughs> as being in, in, in the marching band. And, and, and I, again, say that with the utmost sincerity, it's awesome because you were the ringleader and you need to be eccentric. You need to be that person. And it translated well to what we do, man, because we're like, we've, you've always said we're like one step away from like, you know, sticky vaudeville. And some of the stuff you've done over the years, as you know, has dropped me to my knees in tears. You're hilarious. So how did that come? into play well and you say that like i was a cheerleader all through high school and like like football <laughs> it was it really was my senior year and it came about because 
there's this thing called powder puff football that we did uh in in high school and like the the girls like the cheerleaders or whatever would play football and the and the guys would be the cheerleaders so me and a bunch of my friends did that and we were the cheerleaders in that situation and at the time in our high school the cheerleading coach was a guy who had been in like a cheerleader in college and stuff and so he came up to us and was like hey you know you, do you guys want to be cheerleaders for real because they thought that, you know, we put together a pretty funny halftime show and we did the whole <laughs> shtick. And I know it was good because it was you. So he came up after, like right after, you know, everyone was like dying in the audience. And he was like, you know, we could really use this. You know, if, if we had a bunch of males cheerleaders, we could do a lot more stunts and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, me and my guy friends that were doing it were like, we get to hold like the, the girl cheerleaders up by their, you know, we were not the coolest guys in town by any means. Obviously, if we're doing this <laughs> powder puff football thing. And we were like, this is our chance to like talk to the cheerleaders. Like we were like, this is amazing. And, you know, we got so much crap for it. So again, for the listeners, I know I've talked about this uh, definitely in interviews, probably somewhere on, on one of my after parties or even in the main podcast. But, you know, I met Buddy, uh, Less Than Jake was a four piece band. We had just gotten a sax player. It was me, Roger, Vinny and Jessica. And Buddy had a band called Dig Dug. This was the summer of 93, probably June or July. And Buddy was playing bass in that band. And uh, after the show, he just casually said, hey, you guys got a horn player. That's cool. You know, I have a trombone and I played trombone in high school. We were like, what? Well, bring it to our next rehearsal. And uh, he did the very I think it was the very next night or, or, or two. Yeah, days I think it was later, like the and... Tuesday, like the next Tuesday, because I remember waking up on the that was like a Saturday night that we played. And the Sunday I woke up and I was like, what the heck was I thinking? I was like, I haven't played my trombone <laughs> in like a year and a half. I was like, I'm not going to be able to go. Play. Uh, so I got it out. Luckily, I had it in. You know, I still had it in Gainesville with me for some reason. And, I, you know, I busted it out and tried to lube it up and, and played some notes. And it was pretty rough for sure. And I was like, well, whatever. I might as well just go try it out thinking it was going to be something I was going to do for maybe like the summer. Cause like our, the band that I was in that you were talking about, our drummer had just like flaked out and quit and left town. Cause if you remember, we played that show with like a drum machine <laughs> with you yeah. guys. Cause our drummer had just quit and we were trying to figure out what to do. Me and Steve-O. And I was like, well, this would be something I could do for the summer. Looking to elevate your music career. DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities, from easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock. DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. 
That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demix. But, but yeah, so I, you know, I showed up at uh, the warehouse to go practice with you guys for the first time. And you guys are all laughing when I got there too. I remember this, this is how I got the stupid, the nickname Goldfinger that like no one actually calls me Goldfinger, but <laughs> everybody in the band already had like a nickname at that point. Like Raj was Twig and you were Guy DeClarn and Vinny was uh, McProfit or whatever. And so you guys were like, you were already laughing that my name was going to be Goldfinger because like I'm, I'm using the gold trombone and I've got a finger of gold or something. So I just remember you guys were like, that's your name. when you, as soon as I walked up. Yeah, lots of beers and, and weed probably influenced that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we clicked right away, though. That's why I think we're still, I mean, I guess, like, by the end of that practice, I was like, wow, this is super fun. These guys are fun. Like, we wrote, like, two songs while we we're out there. It was like. Yeah, well, here's another thing I got to thinking. You know, there's a good chance we might not be talking right now. Had you not brought that trombone up with you to college you yes know, if you didn't have it you know you, i don't have a trombone you know like we had nobody had any money to get a trombone yeah i wouldn't have suggested that right and a trombone I mean, let me tell the listeners uh, horns are a, a personal instrument this is going to be hard for everyone out there to believe i have never blown in a trombone or a saxophone in my life i've had them sitting next to me for 30 years i've never blown in one i i don't even know where to begin really with, you've never picked up my horn really I i've never picked up no but what i'm getting at you know is Without that horn, and why did you bring that horn? Do you do you remember why? Uh, I, I probably, you know, I, it was just part of my repertoire. That's not, you know, I figured I might play it or pick it up and do stuff with it. And and uh, Mike Bell, you know, my college room, my dorm roommate, or like best friend in high school, he also played trombone, and he might have brought his up. We thought maybe we were going to play together or something, but we never really did. But uh, yeah, I really don't know why. That's like a weird thing to bring up to college with you if you, if you don't have any. Like, I wasn't going to continue with that and join band or anything. I just brought it with me for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. You, you know, as we get older, the years are, are flying by quicker for whatever reason. Back from when we met you, 93, to when we started touring heavy, 95, it was only a span of about two years. It's amazing what, what happened, what transpired in those two years. At what point for you were you like, okay, I'm not just cruising around with my friends anymore. There's something here. I I may be able to pay my rent with this. This is pretty cool. Well, for me, uh, well, first off, to to get to what you said, the the 93 to 95 seems like 35 years. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was so weird that that was two years. I remember in 95 when we left for that first tour, I felt like we'd been a band forever. I was like, we've been a band so long. Like we're so much better than these other bands. And like, you know, like I, I had this like lofty vision of like what we already were. And we'd only been a band for two years, which seems like ludicrous at this point. But mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, for me, timing wise, it worked out way too well, too, because we graduate. I graduated from college in May of 95. Yeah. And then I went on that uh, like I did the like trip to Europe with my friends where we rode around on bikes and camped and stuff. And I literally got home from that month long trip on bikes and we left for our first U.S. tour three days after I got home for like a six-week U.S. tour. And we'd never done that. Up until that point, we'd only toured regionally. The only th- I think we had gotten to Atlanta that one time when like the, the the we had like a crazy skinhead show and like we had to sleep in the van and like that Gatorade water bottle froze and all that. <laughs> like that that was actually after the first tour. Yeah, was it? Okay, was that- yeah. So we had only we had only toured around Florida. We'd gone to like Daytona a bunch and we'd right. gone to you know West Palm Beach and 
you know, Tampa a bunch. To your point, though, those two years, 93 to 95, man, we packed in a lot. We oh probably God, we did, did so five, much. six, seven, seven inches. How many compilations were we on? We recorded Pezcore during that time period. It's 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 unreal what we packed in. And I think that that uh, goes along with, with how much of a blur that it was because we were so busy. Yeah. Well, you're also, we were all in college at the time. And, you know, when you're younger, time moves slower, too. So, a lot, you know, there's just a lot that goes into why that two years seemed really long. But uh, to, to finish the answer to your question, uh, then we went on that U.S. tour in the in the summer, and I was like, "Wow, this is great!" And that's when Capital, you know, Cra- Craig had shown up at our um, our show at the Hardback, like the kickoff for that tour, and was like, oh, "You know, I'm really looking at you guys to sign you to Capital. I'm going to come out yeah. a couple times on this tour." And so, you know, things started seeming like they were going the right direction for it to be something bigger than what it was. And uh, you know, I was all geared up to go to grad school the next semester. I had taken my GRE and all that, and uh, and so I could have done it. So I had to have that conversation when I got, when we got back from that tour with my parents, I was like, you know, look, I'm, I'm thinking about waiting on going back to school and trying to do this, you know, more seriously. Let's give it a year is what I told him. I was like, let me take a year and see how far we get with it. And I remember having the conversation with my grandma too, you know, every Christmas she kept being like, well, when are you going to make that first? Cause we joked about when I make that first million or something. And she's like, I, I was like, I haven't made it yet, but I'm on my way. I, c- I can see the conversation when you, when you, when you walked out after Christmas dinner and the family sitting around going, what have those weirdo hippies done to him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's he been hanging out with? We got to shut the this down. hell is going on? up there. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was know, great because I, I luckily did graduate. So I had that, you know, bachelor's degree to fall back on, whereas you and Raj both, I remember this specific conversation with you at the, you know, that gate gas station on the way out to the warehouse, but we'd always <laughs> stop at to get, you know, beers and whatever on the way to the warehouse. And I remember you talking to me while we're sitting there pumping gas one time and you were like, look, man, I'm, I'm thinking about, I think we've got something here. I think we can really make this big if we're all in it, you know, all, all eggs in one basket kind of thing. You were like, I'm thinking about quitting school and I think Raj is too. And you were like, we're, we're going to do it. And I just remember being like, wow, man, this is like really getting serious, you know? And I, I remember being all for it. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I have always said too, there, the, it, it, a band is the sum of all its parts. We, we, we definitely had something, uh, something magical. I, I knew it. I didn't really know where, where it could go, but I knew whatever we were doing was working and you knew too, man, we were going to Daytona. Yeah, And well, it was before that, it was even before the, the first U S tour, actually, now that I think about it, when we were in going, it was those shows in Daytona that we played at the black eyed Susan. Every time we went there, there were more people. Yeah. The audience would double and people were going crazy. Every time people just went nuts. People were jumping off of stuff and like people were never sitting still while we played. And, And that wasn't the case for other bands that I saw. And I was like, man, we're, we have something here. I was like, we're doing right. something. We're like affecting people. So it's when I saw how people were affected by what we do, that I was like, all we have to do is get in front of more people. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of how I felt at the time. How do you feel you've gotten better as a trombone player over the years? Obviously you got me producers, Roger, the guys in the band, you know, sitting over you. I mean, we're, we're all pretty hard on each other, you know, when it comes to performances, we really have made each other better. But that aside, what have you done? What 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 has changed for you over the years, and how how do you can continue to push yourself to get better as as a player? It's weird too because I thought for a long time that I was just not getting better. You know, I'm just like oh, I'm just about the same as I always was. But you know, it's it's like that rule where people are like, you know, you're you're a master at something after you've done ten thousand hours on it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so just like the amount of time we've been doing this as a band and. Early on, you know, I'd get we toured so much that when I'd get home from tour, I didn't really play my trombone as much because I also, like you brought up earlier, play you know guitar and bass and other stuff. So I was always trying to do those things or like try to have a life outside of the band. Yeah. Uh, but now, since I've been getting like, uh, especially even really recently during the pandemic, uh, I started playing my horn a lot more, and I've been doing that since we've been getting home, even over the last like you know ten years or so. 
when I get home, I do practice at home a lot more. And I think just the more that you play your instrument, you know, I used to be worried about how I didn't go to school for it after high school. And like, there's these people that went to college and they learned so much more than me. And I really wish I did have a little bit more theory, you know, like music theory knowledge than what I got in high school. But as far as just chops and playing, like, you know, my range on the instrument has improved, like just from when I joined Lesson Jake to now, like I couldn't, I know what notes I could get to, like how high I could get on my horn yeah. as far as like, uh, pitch. And, and, you know, I've, like jumped a whole like scale above what I could do pretty much. Like I know some of my early horn parts, you know, there's nothing written above a certain note and that kept getting higher and higher as time went. What's it? E, e on the guitar is the F sharp for you is your high one. That's your uh, tough one. Uh, well, my high B flat is, is B actually flat. I can get higher than that. But like, as far as playing in the band, I don't really like to go higher than an A, but, uh, but you know, I can hit things like a, a C or a D flat above that. It's like, you know, I can get pretty high on my horn, but it's hard to do that while you're at a show and everything's going on. And like, you've been playing for an hour already. So, you know, there's definitely limitations. What about those things that we heard from producers when we were young, things such as you're ahead of the beat, you're behind the beat, you're playing on top of it, you're mm -hmm. rushing, you're too slow. And, and, and I remember being confused by those things. And I know what I know what that all means now. And when I'm listening to a click track, right, which is a metronome, it's keeping the beat for you when you're listening to that. I can hear those things now. And and if Roger or a producer or someone says something, hey, you're behind the beat, I know how to correct it almost immediately. When did that start happening for you? You're like, oh, I really get this. Because for me, it was around uh, borders and boundaries when that started really happening. See, for me, I always felt like like the rhythm side of things was my strong suit, like as far as timing and stuff goes. Whereas this is something I didn't bring up a second ago on how I've improved too. Pit pitch on a trombone, uh, you know, being in tune, a lot of it comes by ear. Like a lot of instruments are percussive, like a guitar, you like push down the note in a certain spot and it's in tune as long as the guitar's in tune. Whereas a trombone, you know, you're on the slide and you're kind of moving it in and out on each position. And each position that you have is in a different spot for the different note that goes in that position. Not, not, or sorry, like within each position, there's a whole bunch of different notes and each one of those could be a little bit off from the other one. So a lot of it really does come down to your ear. And I know from, for a fact that like when we were early on, I listened to recordings or just like, you know, live performances, I was way worse at that, but I was still pretty okay at it better than, than some, but, but that for me has definitely improved leaps and bounds just because I do play the, the trombone. Cause you have to listen, you know, a lot to hear where you are, whether you're in tune or not. So you know, and it's still a battle sometimes between JR and I, whether or not we're in tune, you know, because you can really hear it when two horns are a little out, especially if two horns are the two trombones, which we had for a little while. That's really bad. <laughs> and you're dealing with humidity, climate from oh, change God. from this building to that building. This this building's cold. We're outside hot on the warp towards. Yeah, and all that affects all that affects pitch, too. So, yeah. Yeah. If in a perfect world, you could still be doing what you're doing, playing to sold out places, you know, festivals all over the world doing what we do. Would you still be a trombone player? Or would you be a guitarist or a singer or or uh, a backup dancer? <laughs> Which you're kind of now. Well, I, I, as we said earlier, I kind of like being the odd man out too. So like being the trombone player, whenever someone's like, oh, you're in a band, what do you play? Like, you know, we're on an airplane or something. I tell people, you know, where, where are you going? Oh, we're going to play a show in Denver. Oh, you're in a band. When I tell them that I play trombone, people are like, oh, because that's, you know, people expect to be the, the singer or a drummer or a guitar player. Yeah. So I kind of like that it's the different thing. Now, if I was in a different band where the trombone player was like, whatever, just like such a side note to the situation, I might right. be a little bit disappointed being that. But I think with our band, you know, everybody's, you know, as important as everybody else to a certain degree. And like everybody sure. has like a big part in the show instead of I'm not just on like some podium in the background, you know. So I think because of that, I think that I would still play trombone because in this band, it is 
still a, a pretty revered thing. Yeah, that that's awesome. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, you know, and I I, I know my answer to this, and and uh, you know, try try to try to give the condensed thirty second to a minute version. But <laughs> someone comes up to you at a show, and this happens a lot, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard heard you answer this. And they, uh, younger, mu- younger musician, and they say, buddy, you know, how'd you make it? Or, or what do I do? What do I do to, 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 you know, be playing in front of crowds such as you? How do I make it? Right. What's your, an- what's your answer? Uh, now, like I used to have a different answer to this. Uh, now my answer is quit. Don't be in a band with Kristen Hicks. <laughs> no, I just tell people to quit. Uh, you're not going to make it. There's too many bands, too many people, and you're competition for me. Get out while Good. you can. <laughs> that, that was way less than 30 seconds and yep. wow what a kick in the teeth hey, I, I just want less competition at this point like every, <laughs> everybody that gets a new computer gets like garage band on it and they all think they're a producer and a musician and every, everybody like everybody shouldn't be a musician like everybody wants to be and you know like there's just there's some things you just don't go do <laughs> so and and they're you know and obviously you're talking about people that are in it and they want to try and they're it's, you know, I, I don't even know the answer these days, like to, for, to be real about it. Uh, I used to have an answer back when we used to tour, you know, it would be like, get in the van and tour and get in front of people. And that's like the most important part, because it really is being able to play in front of people and be comfortable doing it. That's what people respond to. They respond to yeah. if you look like you're having fun and you're playing your instrument and you're totally into it and everybody in your band is, you're going to get like, even if your music isn't that good, it still gets a better response than people are standing around staring at their shoes. So yeah. I think... A lot of it is getting out there and playing in front of people and getting comfortable doing that is the only way to really become successful. Like it's not about how many Instagram likes you have and all that kind of crap, but there are a lot of other ways that you have to use these days to get there. But uh, yeah, getting out there and playing shows is the way to do it. That'll never change. One final thing on your journey. What is the one highlight that sticks out? The one thing where you're like, I can't believe that just happened. Wow. Uh, that's a rough one because we've had so many, you know, like being, being yeah. a band, not even just being a band as long as we have, but having like the crazy career we have, you know, it, you know it's pick, wild. Pick just one be- out of your 20 highlights. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've got, I've got one that's, that always is an easy go-to because uh, I still can't to this day believe that this actually happened to us was the, the Bon Jovi tour, like right. not even just one yeah. show, but the entire tour, because like, how the <laughs> hell did we get on that? Like, you know, not only was it just like that it was a big arena tour, but also that it was a band, you know, because we've played with some of our idols and stuff like that. But this band was like when I was young and they were like this. It's like when we were talking about when I was, you know, looking at these bands that were like those big bands, like the Def Leppard video or whatever. I was yeah. like, how are we playing with this guy? You know, and and what's so weird about that, too, is that he was only 37 when we went on that tour. And I thought they were so old. And I, I remember know. looking at you being like, God, I can't believe he's 37. <laughs> 37. We're still doing that. It's going to be amazing. And now I'm 10 years older than him. It's I wild. Know. It's it, it's unreal. Well, man, I want to thank you for sitting in and taking us uh, on your journey. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the journey, I'll tell you that. And you know, we barely even scratched the surface of what it's been like. Uh, it's it's just amazing, and I I feel so lucky that, and you know, I mean, I know we deserve some of it because we've worked really hard to get where we are. But you know, there's definitely a certain amount of luck in it too. And I'm always feeling fortunate that we are where we are, and we have the fans that we do, and they've stuck around. So thank you all. Well, thank you, and uh, until next time, everybody. We'll see you then. Bowie. 
Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.